Hey church, welcome to our brand new series entitled Under the Sun. This is going to be an expository series through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you have your Bible at home, pull it out, go to the Old Testament, find the book of Ecclesiastes, open it up to chapter one. I'm so excited about this series because this is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It is really a journey through some of the difficult and hard questions of life that we all ask, the questions that we wrestle through. It's a a book that invites you to bring your doubt and to not hide it away, but to go on a journey, to seek out the answers to life and faith and meaning and purpose. And so I can't wait to journey with you through the next eight weeks or so in this book. But before we jump into chapter one today, we have to address a few things just to kind of set the stage for this series. And it really, the stage is set via the first verse. So if you have your Bible, you can look on the screen below. The very first verse in the book of Ecclesiastes says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So right there, it sets the stage and it's kind of interesting because it says that the words that you're about to read are from the preacher. The author is never identified in this book. Now, most people believe that the author is King Solomon, who was a son of David and a king in Jerusalem. But Solomon generally identifies himself when he writes. But here, the author is never identified. Why is that? And I think what you will see is because the author, if it is Solomon, which I believe, wants you not to think about him, but he wants you to go on a journey with this preacher or with this teacher through this book. The main character is this preacher. The Hebrew word here is koheleth. The preacher is the koheleth. And The Koheleth is kind of acting all throughout this book like a philosopher, like an explorer, going through all the murky and confusing and complex and difficult questions that we as human beings ask. Really the journey that the Koheleth, the preacher, the teacher, the philosopher will take you and I on throughout this series is a quest to kind of determine how are you to live life under the sun? What is the human experience? What are the answers to those big questions in life? How are we to think about the life that we live here under the sun? You know, Socrates famously said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And I think he's right, that we are meant to examine our lives to think, to wrestle, to bring our doubts to bear. 
And, and this is why I think this book is so important for the church. Because sometimes in the church or in Christian communities, we can feel a pressure to hide away our doubts and to pretend like we don't really have them. There can be this pressure to feel like I'm just supposed to have faith and I'm not supposed to have any doubt or any questions about life. But the reality is, for each and every one of us, there are two selves. There is the believing self and the unbelieving self. And if you have given your life to Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, whether it was decades ago or a week ago, you feel this tension between the believing self and the unbelieving self. And these two selves are at war. And what is very detrimental is to pretend like the unbelieving self does not exist. It does. We all have doubts and questions, and we resonate with what the Koheleth, what the preacher, philosopher will say in this book, especially in certain situations when life is difficult and when the road is not as smooth as we desire it to be. We start to question and we start to doubt. And, and sometimes in, in the church, we feel like that's not acceptable. And oftentimes, people will say, well, James in the New Testament, he says, do not doubt. Well, part of the problem is when you read that, if you just take it at first glance, you think that that applies to all levels of doubt. Just don't doubt at all. He says there also that you're to ask in faith. So it feels very clear. Faith and doubt are opposed. Don't doubt, just have faith. And maybe you've been in, in situations before or in communities where you brought up a doubt and somebody told you just have faith. And so now you kind of take your doubt and you wrap it in a Christian bubble and you hide it away because you don't feel safe to bring it forward. I want to encourage you to bring it forward because that's not what James is saying and that's certainly not what Ecclesiastes is calling you to do. You see, James actually tells us not to doubt in regards to asking God for wisdom when we face trials of various kinds. See, in that chapter, in James chapter 1, he says that you're going to experience the testing of your faith and that you're going to go through trials of various kinds. And as your faith is tested, as you face trials of various kinds, which doubt is a trial, he says, do not doubt that God will not grant you wisdom generously. Don't be double-minded in that regard. When you approach God, believe that he will give you wisdom generously as you explore, as you seek answers. And so that is the, the spirit and the belief that I want to encourage you to bring into this series and into God's word. Bring your doubts Bring your questions. Don't hide them away. When you join a small group, don't keep them silent. Share them, but believe that God will give you wisdom when you ask. Because I really believe that he will and that you'll experience that over the next two months as we work through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so today we arrive at the very beginning first chapter of Ecclesiastes, and the title is The Quest for Meaning. 
the Koheleth, the preacher, is going to look at, does life have any meaning? And you can see the tension that he feels between those two selves. He wants to believe in meaning, but then he struggles with what he's been experiencing to feel like life has any meaning at all. And so he starts out in verse 2, which is a very famous verse. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What a downer. (laughs) What a way to start this book. Maybe you were getting excited. You're like, I'm going to bring my doubt. I'm going to explore. God's going to give me wisdom. And then you read verse 2 and you're like, everything's meaningless. It's all vanity. And you hear that, you're like, wait, wait. That can't be the case. Everything can't be vanity. Everything cannot be meaningless. You know, so much of who we are as human beings is wrapped up in this search for meaning. We're trying to determine what the meaning of life is. I googled this week the phrase meaning of life. You know how many hits there were? 1.1 billion people asking what's the meaning of life. And I actually googled that as well. What uh, how do you find meaning in life? And Google gave me nine steps. So I'm going to share those nine steps with you. Here is what culture says, or at least this article that's on the top of Google says, that you need to do in order to find meaning in life. First, choose happiness. Okay? Secondly, follow your talents. Third, make great connections. Fourth, set goals. Five, help others. Six, get out of your comfort zone. Seven, quit watching TV. Some of you are like, "Eh, I'll skip that one. Eight, do what you've always wanted. And nine, find purpose. This is like the perfect list for your hashtag Motivation Monday. I'm going to find meaning in life by doing all these things. But when you look at those nine steps, do you really think that just by seeking and trying to do those things, you're going to find the meaning that you search for in life? I mean, some of them are so vague. Find your purpose. You're like, that's exactly what I'm trying to find. That's wrapped up in my search for meaning. Choose happiness. That's easier said than done. Do what you've always wanted. Yeah, there's a lot of things I want to do, but I need the money to do them. Make great connections. Well, that's a two-way street, and sometimes it doesn't work out well. It's not that easy. And the preacher, the Koheleth here, in Ecclesiastes 1 says, everything in life is meaningless. It's vanity. Those nine steps are vanity. And it's really important to really kind of grasp what he's saying there so you're not led off in a different direction from the intention. See, the word vanity is the Hebrew word hevel. And that word means vapor. So he's saying that everything in life is a vapor. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It doesn't last. He's not saying that life doesn't matter and that life in its entirety is completely devoid of any meaning and has no importance. 
He's saying that life and the things of life are fleeting. They're like vapors. How many of you have a diffuser at home to unleash the beautiful aroma of essential oils in your home? I I think what he's saying here in verse 2 is that life is like a diffuser. That there are times in life where the sweet aroma and the sweet vapors of life are enjoyed and that you experience the beauty of life. Sometimes you may seek out to follow those nine steps and you may be tracking with a lot of them and maybe finding happiness and you feel like meaning is starting to come into your life. Just like with the diffuser, you put in the peppermint or whatever your favorite oil is and you turn it on, it smells beautiful. But just like that diffuser, it will not last forever. After a few hours, the water will run out, the vapors will be no more, and the aroma will be gone. And in life, there's so many great things to be enjoyed and so many beautiful things to experience and sweet aromas. They're fleeting, like vapors. But also in life, there are some not-so-pleasant aromas as well. Kind of like if you've ever had your diffuser and you forgot to empty the water, and you, hadn't, you haven't turned it on in a while, and then you turn it on and that murky old water starts to produce vapors, does not smell great. And sometimes life is like that. Unpleasant vapors. But those are fleeting too. That life is just a vapor. It's temporary. And that so much of our life is chasing after these vapors that won't last. And one of the ways that he says that we do this and he resonates with this is in verse 3. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? He's speaking about work. One of the ways that we chase vapors is we seek out meaning for our life in our work. So we believe that if we're able to accomplish certain things, make a certain amount of money, provide a certain level of comfort, experience these unique and beautiful experiences because our work makes it possible, then we will find meaning in life. He says it's a vapor. In fact, consider not only the vapors that you enjoy through your work, but also the unpleasant ones that it takes to get you there. The toil, the anxiety, the stress. Is it worth those fleeting moments? And if you consider even the recognition, the status, the comfort, the money, is it ever enough? Are you ever fully satisfied? It's meaningless, he says. It's a vapor. You may be thinking to yourself, I don't know if I agree with that because I'm not seeking out meaning in my work simply for myself. It's not just about me having great experiences and making money and getting status. It's not just about that or accomplishing goals to feel productive. It's bigger than that for me. My work is about providing for my family or my future family. It's about making a difference in the world. It's about creating a legacy for myself. He speaks to that in the next verse. Verse 4, 
He says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And then verse 9 through 11, he continues on this thought. He says, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This preacher, the Koheleth, is saying, even your quest for a legacy will fail. It is a vapor too. Nothing really changes. There's nothing really new under the sun. History is making and unmaking itself. Generations come and generations go. And, and people arrive at times thinking that they have a fresh insight and they have something new, but it is just a variation of what has been done before. Nothing is really new under the sun. It's rough to feel like that. It's rough to hear that. Wait, wait. So nothing is new under the sun that the legacy that I've been seeking after for myself or for my family name is not going to be remembered because generations come and go. I don't know if I want to receive that. So much of my motivation was wrapped up in that. You resonate with him in that regard. You may think to yourself, how, how can he say that? Well, verse 5 and 6, he, he answers that question. He says, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. How can you say that nothing is newer than the sun, and that even the quest for a legacy will be forgotten in time? The answer is time itself. Time wipes away everything. See, his point is that time is constant and we are but a vapor. And, and you know this even just through your own memory. You can remember something you have done recently, but try to remember 20 years ago. Try to remember significant events. It takes you a while at times. This, I remember this recently when my son was asking me what toys I played with when he, I was his age. And I was like, I, I can't remember. Time is a constant, but we are vapors. Even our memory fades. Everything fades. It is fleeting. It is temporary. We are vapors. And the human struggle throughout all of this, seeking to find meaning in work or by building a legacy or by the sweet aromas of life, even though they fade, the struggle that we all feel as human beings remains the same throughout time. And that is the struggle of verse 8. He says, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So he says the struggle for you, for me, for everyone you know, is a struggle for satisfaction. 
a struggle for contentment. He uses the example here of an eye and an ear. He says the eye, even when it's performing its function, which is to see, is not satisfied with what it sees. It always wants to see something new and different. The ear, even when it's performing its function, its purpose to hear, is not satisfied by what it hears. We struggle with satisfaction. It is the human struggle to feel satisfied and full and content. We are but a vapor, and life is but a vapor. And you may be thinking right about now, hmm, Maybe should have skipped this Sunday. I'm, can we go back to Romans? You maybe you could have just stopped on the nine steps and we could have had something going there. Now I feel kind of depressed. Life is a vapor. It's meaningless. I'm not going to find meaning in my work. My legacy will be forgotten. I mean, the struggle for satisfaction is an ever-present struggle. I don't, I don't really understand. I feel that. I feel that when I read the beginning of Ecclesiastes 2. But I think you feel something too. Especially if you look back on your life, or maybe you're in this place right now. That deep down, deep down in your soul, you resonate. You resonate with what the Koheleth, what the preacher is saying here especially in certain seasons of your life where things are not going well. Right? We are all on this quest for clarity and for direction and for purpose because we want to extract meaning out of life. And so we're constantly evaluating whether or not we are walking on the right path in the right direction and doing the right things. And many times in life, the path that we are walking on is not smooth. It's not level. We trip. We fall. We hit roadblocks. It's not meeting expectations. And when these things happen in life, what do we do? We stop. We reevaluate. We begin to doubt. We begin to think, is it really worth it? Is this really what life is all about? Is it meaningless? It feels like a vapor. One day I'm content, the next I'm discontent. One day I have peace, the next I'm discouraged. One week I'm full of joy, the next week I'm depressed. One week I have peace, the next I'm anxious. And there are so many factors in life that are changing and adjusting. It feels like everything is fleeting and I can never hold on to those desires that I seek. Let alone meaning clear, constant meaning. See, we all have that desire, right? That desire for meaning. It's not foreign to any of us. And our quest is to try to seek it and find it. And so the question that really the teacher wants you to ask yourself as you're reading Ecclesiastes 1 can meaning be found? Can you find meaning in life at all? Or is it really truly all meaningless? C.S. Lewis has a great quote, a theologian and, and author. He says this, the Christian says creatures are not born with desires, 
unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. There are plenty of desires that we have in this world under the sun that we find fulfillment of. As he says, food, the duckling to swim in water. But when we have a desire that we seek other things in life to satisfy and they never quite do, they actually reveal themselves to be vapors, it reveals to us that not, not that the desire is wrong, but what we are looking to to fulfill the desire is mistaken. That we're not going to find meaning in what we build or what we achieve or even who we live, li- live our life with. Those things are vapors. But we can find meaning in life. Because we were made for another world and we were made for someone else. The one who actually created the desire in you in the first place and gave you that quest for meaning. You can find satisfaction of that desire in Him. And that is in Christ Himself. John chapter 1 in the New Testament. John says that Jesus is the Word, or as it's translated in Greek, the Logos. Now, the Logos in Greek philosophy, in the Greco-Roman world, was a word used to speak to that power which held everything together and which gave divine meaning. And John says... You're searching for meaning. You want to make sense of the world and of your life. You're looking at all the wrong places. You need to be looking to Jesus, who is the Logos, who is divine, and is the author of meaning. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul says that in Jesus, all things were created. And that in Him, all things are held together. See, what is the New Testament saying about Jesus? And what does Jesus say about Himself? He is not a vapor. He is not temporary. He is not fleeting. He does not give you a moment of happiness, sparked satisfaction, and then it goes away. No, He is eternal. He is lasting. He promises in John 10.10 that if you come to Him, He will give you life to the full. Not a little bit of life or sometimes or on and off like a vapor. No, he will give you life to the full. And so here's what I want to encourage you with. Three responses to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The first one is this. Return to Jesus. Return to Jesus. Don't settle for sparked satisfaction by chasing after vapors that will feel good for a moment and then they dissipate. 
Don't settle for microwaved happiness. Go to the one who created the desire for meaning in the first place and placed it within your soul. Only he can fulfill that desire. Go to him. Return to him. Maybe for the first time in a long time or maybe for the first time ever. And it's not complicated. Go to him in prayer. Surrender before him. Ask him to fill you and to bring fullness to your life. Return to Jesus. Secondly, recognize the vapors. Do the work this week of thinking about the vapors in your life that you are chasing after, thinking they will provide meaning. Maybe your work or a relationship or the resources you can accumulate or the status that you receive. What are the vapors you're chasing after? Recognize them. Identify them. And then understand something about them. You can enjoy them just don't live for them. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the sweet aroma and the sweet vapors of life. God has made us to enjoy. He's given us those desires to enjoy the world that he's created and the people around us. But don't live for them because they're fleeting and they will disappoint. Recognize the vapors and don't live for them. And then lastly, live meaningfully. If you want to find meaning in your life, first you return to Jesus, secondly you, ref- you recognize the vapors, and thirdly you live meaningfully. What does that mean? Well, if Jesus is the Logos, he is divine meaning, the very one who created meaning and placed it within your soul and is in himself the one that holds all things together, then to live meaningfully means to live with Jesus and for Jesus. To live with him and for him. And how do you live with Jesus? Well, Colossians tells us that anyone that has received Christ Jesus as Lord is to walk with him. You live with Jesus by walking with him. You're like, well, I don't see him. How do I walk with him? Jesus promised to give you a helper. A helper who is also called the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who unites you with Christ and walks with you and guides you and connects you to Jesus himself. You walk with Jesus through the Spirit. And honestly, it's much more simple than we make it at times. How do you walk with Jesus? You're consistent in his word. He is the main character of this entire book, the entire Bible is about him and speaks to him. Be consistent in this word. Be consistent in prayer. You're united to Christ through prayer. The Spirit makes known the deep things of God as you pray. Be consistent in praise. Even when the road you're walking is difficult and there's roadblocks, it's not meeting expectations, praise God for who he is and for Jesus and what he's done. And be consistent with God's people. You are not meant to seek out meaning in life on your own. You're not meant to live your life alone at all. You're meant to live with God and his people. So be consistent with God's people. 
That's how you walk with Jesus. In fact, there's a promise. When you're gathered with God's people, Jesus is uniquely present spiritually. Be consistent in the Word, in prayer, in praise, and with God's people. And when you walk with Jesus in this way, when you're with Him, you'll begin to live for Him. Like, how do I live for Jesus? There's a lot of things in the New Testament where it speaks about how to live for Jesus, and Jesus gives us these charges, these commands of how to live for Him, but I want to boil it down to one thing, and that is this, to be a person of shalom. Shalom is holistic peace. See, underneath our search for meaning is a desire for shalom. Holistic peace. Mental, emotional, spiritual, physical peace. We are all seeking this. And we want to to arrive at the meaning of life. And we want to seek after meaning because we want peace. We want holistic peace. So much of our walking with Jesus, right, when we read his word, when we pray, when we praise God, when we spend time with his people, is desiring shalom. Asking God to bring peace to our heart and our mind and our lives and our bodies. And Jesus has promised that his final act in human history will be to bring shalom. He is going to make all things new. He is going to bind up every wound. He is going to wipe away every tear. He is going to restore everything that is broken. He is going to bring about holistic peace. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, social. And so how do you live for Jesus? You seek to bring holistic peace, shalom, in every sphere of your life. In your work. In your family. In relationships, you ask God, how do I live for you? Jesus, how do I live for you by bringing peace in my work, holistic, in my family, in my relationships, in my church? When there's a need and something is broken and not working, can I step in and bring peace? Can I live for you, Jesus, in that way? In my city, when people are crying out in pain, when people are struggling, can I bring peace? Social peace, emotional peace, physical peace. Even as something as simple as cleaning your house can be living for Jesus. Do you know that? Why? Because when you clean your house, when you cut your grass, when you restore something to its original state, which was beautiful and enjoyed and functional, you're bringing about peace. The restoration of something that is out of order. I even think about that when I cook a meal. I'm seeking to live for Jesus by bringing peace. I don't just throw things in a pot and just say, hey, here, eat. No, I want to be intentional. I want to bring shalom so that the bellies of those that will eat is at peace and the conversations will bring peace and the food will... Be a sweet aroma, even though it may be fleeting. You see, the search for meaning in life is a search for shalom. It's a search for peace, which is never found under the sun. 
The search for meaning is a search for shalom, which is never found under the sun. However, it is found in the sun. It is found walking with the sun and living for the sun. So church, return to Jesus. Recognize the vapors that you may be chasing in life and live meaningfully. This will bring about meaning and shalom to your life and those around you too. I pray that for you and for me. Let's pray together. God, we so easily chase after the vapors of life thinking that they will provide satisfaction and contentment, but they do not. God, I pray that we would understand that the desire for meaning is good, but where we look to fulfill it is often mistaken if it's not in you. You created the desire for us to find its fulfillment in you. Would we return to you, Jesus? For the first time in a long time, or even right now, for the first time ever, just to give our life to you, to surrender before you and to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I want to walk with you. I want to live for you. I trust in you. That we would recognize the vapors of our life and stop running after them as if they'll save our life. Only you can save Jesus. And lastly, that we'd live meaningfully. That we'd walk with you consistently in your word and prayer and praise with your people. And that we would live for you by being people of shalom. This is a meaningful life. I pray that that's how we would live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.